Time now for Talkin' Tunes on 100.9 FM. Talkin' Tunes, a weekly roundtable discussion on music, radio, entertainment, television, nothing too serious, just light and lively chatter with your host, Oscar Osbo. Welcome to Talkin' Tunes. I'm Oscar Osbo, and we're talking with John Russell, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about, well, we saw the McCartney 2-3 or 3-2-1. And uh, we're going to talk about that, but we also want to talk about Stigwood. Well, like I said, the Stigwood thing, I don't know if I ever saw it or if I just think I well, did. Or what, was, was, was it a documentary on Greece? And uh, No, no. Actually, what it, what it was is I was listening to an old CD the other day of to, the, the, the Tommy, the Who, you know. Oh, the rock opera. The yeah. rock opera, yeah. And I was listening to that, and I remember going to the movie to see Tommy, and I thought, Roger Daltrey did a, actually a better job in the movie with the vocals than I thought that he did with, you know, the actual rock opera, which people will probably throw things at me for saying that. But yeah. anyway, no. so then I'm looking and it's like Stigwood and it's like Stigwood, Grease, Stigwood, you know, Saturday Night, Lo- Saturday Night Fever, uh, Stigwood. Uh, he just had a ton of, of music yeah. movies and he definitely made the Bee Gees famous because, of course, you know, Saturday right. Night Fever with Travolta. Yeah. And, yeah that was like a, uh, that, uh, he made like two, $237.1 million at the box office. And that's, that's just at the box office. You know, who knows how much yeah. he made with right. VHS tapes at that time and DVDs now and, 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 yeah. and albums, you know? So. Yeah. There was, there's been a couple of really good documentaries on the Bee Gees. One was on PBS and one, I think I saw it on either Hulu or, or Netflix. I get confused cause I got a yeah, both. And he, but. and he did one, he did one on the Bee Gees in our time. It's called, that was also a yeah. Stigwood production. I might've seen that one. And that was the one where they, they talked about disco, how all of a sudden the, the Bee Gees became the most hated group in the yeah, world because yeah, yeah. disco took it. So I thought that was all pretty interesting how, you know, Hey, Hey, these guys are just, you know, they're trying to, you know, hit another gear in their career a little bit. And all of a sudden this disco takes off and yeah, uh, they, they, kick, have, they have to, they yeah, kick butt in the sixties. I mean, the sixties, they did great. I mean, uh, Terry and I oh, yeah. one of our favorite albums, the greatest hits album for the Bee Gees of the sixties stuff with holiday and, I started a joke yeah. in Massachusetts and, you know, all that good yeah. stuff. So. I'm going back to Massachusetts. Something's telling me I must go home.
I tend I tend to like their older stuff too. Arlene like she was a she likes the disco stuff. She's she's one of the people that says, "See, disco wasn't so bad." I said, "Yes, it was." <laughs> <laughs> disco didn't know how to fade out. It was like you know, it just kept going. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, Donna yeah, Summer, she made she made a, a gazillion dollars on just you know repeating right. the same thing over and over again. <laughs> oh, love to love you, baby. Yeah. yeah.
Robert Stigwood, I, I just thought he was pretty a, a pretty fascinating yeah. guy considering, I mean, he's, he's dead now. He died in 2016. He was 81. But, uh, yeah, he did, so like, just, I'm just, you know, name a few. Saturday Night Fever with Travolta in 77. He did Staying Alive. Remember that one in 83? It, he tried Boy, to, re, yeah, he tried to revise it. Like, uh, John Travolta actually went to, um, he went to uh, um, be in a Broadway dance kind of thing after oh. that. And that was actually directed by Sylvester Stallone. Oh my God. Yeah, it was really Holy bad. God. It was bad. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it only, I mean, compared to the 237 million, it did okay, though. It brought in 127 right. million, you know, at Didn't the box he do office. Did the Sgt. Pepper movie, too? Yeah, that, that was the next one I was going to get to. Sgt. Pepper's yeah. Lonely Hearts and Club that- Band in 1978. And it, I thought that sucked. Now Arlene thinks that that's great. She liked. I said, Arlene, no. Was no, she high no. at the time? <laughs> I don't think so. She well, she likes the Bee Gees and she liked Frampton back then. I said, well, well, yeah, so did I. People, but it was it was a terrible, terrible it was. movie. It was yeah, you know. It, but they did have. A, I mean, they had the Bee Gees in it. They had Peter Frampton. They had George Burns was Mister Kite. They had yeah. Earth, Wind, and Fire. They had Billy Preston, Aerosmith, Steve Martin, yeah. Alice Cooper. I mean, come yeah, on, a with cast, a with cast a cast like that, you would think it right. would have been a good movie. But yeah, like but I say, it, the first yeah. time I saw it, I enjoyed it because I was high. But you know, I'm just saying, yeah. <laughs> it was at it was at the movie theater or the uh, um, drive-in theater right. rather. But that right. one that one did terrible for him too. It only it only uh, brought in twenty twenty point four million dollars. So, I mean, that's, I mean, that's a lot, but I'm yeah, sure it probably yeah. cost them that much to put it together yeah. because all that high price talent. Yeah. All that talent. I mean, you know, the, the only good thing that came out of it was a good, a fairly good soundtrack album. Cause there was, you know, Aerosmith did come together and that was pretty awesome. He got one 
In my life, that was uh, that was Earth, Wind, Fire. Another side there Ooh. And then a sudden see Ooh. 
terrible. Steve Martin was terrible, and so was Alice Cooper. Alice Cooper did because, and all he did was because the world has, you know, it was just oh. horrible. <laughs> it was a, it was a horrible movie. So he yeah. he deserved to not make any money on that one. It was just terrible. Yeah. I mean, that was like that was like. I think it was too close to because it was only seventy eight, so it was it was still too close to picking on the Beatles. I guess I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. It was yeah. I I went there with high hopes because it was a Beatles stuff, but yeah, then boy, yeah. I said, man, oh man, yeah, yeah. Well, they sure bad. they sure butchered this. Oh, big time! And the, of course, you know the BGs and Peter Frampton are like the worst actors in you know. Know, in history. So <laughs> there you go. So George Burns was the only cool thing about it. I mean, I don't know. Anyway. Right, right. <laughs> um, and Mean Mr. Mustard was was actually kind of fun to watch. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, Times Square was another one he did in 1980 with Tim Carey, but I don't remember that one. I don't um, either. I guess it was a musical. But anyway, uh, Grease, of course, was the biggest right. one of all time. That was that even beat Saturday Night Fever. That was uh, $366.2 million in 1978. This to me was a tolerable movie. I mean, I you know I I, I accept. Oh come on it now, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's one of my favorites. One of my kids' favorites. Oh, I mean, come on. Oh yeah. Well yeah yeah no well yeah but uh, well I tell you what Olivia it, it's <laughs> Olivia it Newton John come on yeah in the in the tight leather spandex at the end come on yeah or leather or whatever it was yeah all right exactly form so. fitting for sure. Well, this car is automatic, systematic. Hydromatic. Why it's a greased lightning?
I mean, that, that had a pretty good, pretty good casting too. John Travolta, Libby Newton-John, Stocker Channing, Didi Khan, uh, yeah, uh, Jeff Conaway. That was like his last big movie he did before he killed himself. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that's to mention. But anyway, he he had a pretty rough right. life too because he couldn't get anything. But he was kind of a ho- he was a hokey actor. He fit that part really well because he was a hokey actor, just like in Taxi. Yeah. You know, he yeah, played all the he hokey. Had was really taxi. Yeah, he he played the hokey act uh, guy trying to get an acting job and. He was a terrible yep. actor, but anyway. Right. <laughs> Frankie Avalon made a, a appearance in there. Same with Sid Caesar and Eve Arden. So yeah, it was I I, I thought it was a great movie. Now, yeah. if we talk Grease 2, then we're talking no, that was a bad movie. Gee, I don't even think I saw Grease no, 2. No, you don't bother. Yeah. Michelle okay. Michelle Pfeiffer was in it. And uh oh, Aiden, was she Olivia Newton John? Yeah. Well, she was it was actually like the the, the next year when they have already graduated. And it was a new group oh. of people. Oh, and Michelle geez. Pfeiffer came in. And the only one that was original was Dee Dee Khan, of course, because she flunked because of beauty school. Oh, okay. <laughs> so she was still in it. But Adrian right. Zed was in there, too. So, you know. Oh, yeah. 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 Chris, uh, Christopher McDonald, which I always liked him. I like Happy Gilmore and all that stuff. He's he's always been funny. I always thought he was a funny guy. But anyway, yeah, so that that's that's the movie that he made the biggest bucks on was Grease, of course. But he did all right with Saturday Night Live, too. But he kept going, though. There's a sure. a movie called Moment by Moment. Uh, Travolta and Lily Tomlin was in it. It was 1978. I don't remember that one at all. It only did $11 million at the box office. Yeah, that sounds pretty forgettable. Yeah. But, you know, the one that I did like and... Well, there's a couple, actually. One, of course, he did Jesus Christ Superstar in 73. That had okay. a three a three million dollar budget and it made twenty four million. You know, with Ted Neely and Carl Anderson and Yvonne Alleman, and uh, right. yeah. But um, so you know, that wasn't bad. But I always enjoyed that. I thought that movie was good. I remember the when I went to see it in seventy three at the theater. Actually, my mother took me to see it at the theater, and there were people protesting outside for that movie. Oh, because of yeah, because yeah. of Jesus Christ being a superstar. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Or the way they remember Glenn Campbell the had the hit. I knew Jesus before he was a superstar. Remember yeah. that that song. <laughs> 
I knew Jesus before he was a superstar. Back with more talking tunes after this. Now back to talking tunes. Yeah, McCartney. Now I want to talk about McCartney. 
because I okay. was I was very impressed, and you I think you were too with that. It was called McCartney Three Two One on Hulu, right? And, and he yeah. actually came out and said some stuff that I've never heard before. I mean, I saw a lot of documentaries on the Beatles, but he said a lot of things. And what was so cool about McCartney, I thought, was that he he made everybody in the band, including George Martin, very positive. Everybody had a, you know, a positive, um, feeling, right. you know, and, right. uh, you know, Ringo, I mean, everybody always picked on Ringo and his drumming, but I always thought he was a good, he kept a beat, you know, it was, that was Ringo. Yes. Right. But, but he, he has said, now listen to that beat that Ringo's got right there, you know, or do this. And, and it's like, um, you know, I, I don't know. I just thought it was a very good six part. I think it was six parts, wasn't it? Six, ha- yeah. 20 minute segments or something like that. But, uh, but the creating of come together that that to me was, was a uh, pretty phenomenal because here's John Lennon comes in with the song come together and it sounds like uh old Chuck Berry tune. Right. And, right. and he says, that's the Chuck Berry tune. I forget what the song was now too, but that's the old Chuck Berry tune, such and such. And he said, Oh right. yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. So they changed yeah. it around yeah. and it definitely doesn't sound like a Chuck Berry tune anymore, you know? But right. yeah, it's like, you know, Paul kind of helped write that song with them because it's like, if he would have put it out the way he did, Chuck Berry probably would have tried to sue him or something anyway. But well, actually Chuck Berry did sue John Lennon did he? and I don't know if it was over that or not. I think it was because it here come old flat top and I, yeah. and like here you, come I can't remember what, top, what, you what come Chuck Berry. Grooving yeah. Up slowly. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and he did. And the story behind that, that I heard was that Chuck Berry is going to sue John. And John said, you know, John was still, even though he's being sued by this guy, it still was one of his idols. And he felt bad that, you know, that all of a sudden Chuck's not thinking, you know, well of him, you know? So yeah. he said, he said, how about if I, if I do this album with Phil Spector and it became the rock and roll album. And in other words, John didn't get a dime for that. All of the, all of that, royalty went to chuck berry that was what the deal was so uh-huh. that settled the lawsuit that chuck berry had was remember the the rock and roll album that uh back it was the last album yeah, that john recorded yeah. before it was like a good album i had i had it at one time i don't know what i did with it yeah 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 it was all of his classics that he liked as a kid right. that type right. of thing. and he said how about if we do this how about you know i don't make a dime off in this you know, we sell it and uh, you get all the royalties and all that. And then Chuck agreed to that. But that was, you know, that was his way of, you know, you could say, yeah, it's his way of keeping from getting sued. But I, you know, I mean, I don't know how many albums or how much, how much that album sold, but I think it might've sold more than he was going to get in a lawsuit anyhow. Probably. You know what I mean? Or at least I mean, much. I bought a copy of it. I don't know what happened to it, but I, I bought a copy of it. It was, it was a good rock and roll album, old, old rock yeah. and roll. Yeah. He shut his eyes and came out on where no shut balls. Don't worry if you don't get the ball through. Okay, sorry. Yes. I get very involved, you know. One, two, one, two, three, four.
Yes. A man like him would have it. He's got teenage lyrics, he's got heart rod baldy. Oh, I'm losing my cool. Yeah. So, so that's kind of, but you're right. I, and I think it was from that because I know Chuck Berry kind of got on his case and, and John was, was more hurt than, than scared. You know I mean? It was like, Oh man, this is one of my idols. And now he, you know, he hates my guts, you know? <laughs> so he just, he basically had a meeting with him says, Hey, look, how can I, he says, this is my, I was going to do this, these old classics. How about if I just give you the, the royalties to all the songs or whatever it makes and all that. And we just call it good. And Chuck says, yeah, I can go along with that. And yeah. they became good friends again. So that was cool. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, uh, guy, <clears throat> yeah, Chuck Berry, he's, he was a, a you I mean there's a documentary out there somewhere I can't I still I'm looking for it <clears throat> of Chuck Berry he did a live performance and uh Keith Richards was the one that was got him to to do this live performance or whatever and Keith wanted him to do a a better job at you know play, you know Chuck Berry he Chuck Berry gets on sure. he plays a Chuck Berry tune I mean you know every tune right. pretty much sounds a lot alike you know they're it they're does. yeah yeah so yeah, but it's anyway. the Chuck Berry song, sort of yeah. like Bill, Bo Diddley, right? But, every, yeah. every song that Bo Diddley did yeah. was doom, that, doom, uh, doom, that doom, 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 yeah. yeah, right, right. <laughs> but uh, yeah. but yeah, I mean that was a great it was a great concert too because I mean he had all like Elvis Costello was on there, he had Linda Ronstadt on there. I mean it was all all these fans that loved Chuck Berry, you know, came on and and sang with Chuck, and it was pretty cool. And I can't, right. I don't know what it was called, and I don't know where it's at. I'll, I'll have to keep looking for it.
Another thing that was uh, was uh, amazing to me was uh, the solo album. The first album he did when he when they left the Beatles, when the Beatles broke up, and he did it all in his home studio. He played all the instruments. Right. I see. I never knew that he played all yeah. the the instruments and did everything himself. And that's where the first album is where "Baby I'm Amazed," which is one of my favorite McCartney tunes, came from. And I think uh, the album was called McCartney, wasn't it? Yeah, it's called McCartney. Yeah. Yeah, that he actually was recording that almost at the time the Beatles were still together, but not really. I mean, it, yeah. they were kind of they had that long breakup, and he, he, uh, yeah, he put that together. But you're right. I mean, he wound up, uh, yeah, in his farm in Scotland or whatever. Yeah, and him and Linda. Just, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah.
So I mean, I was, I was, I was amazed by that because <clears throat> maybe I'm amazed by that because yeah, it was, you know, a really good put together album just for him to do it himself. I mean, he was the producer, the, sure. as far as I know, I mean, I'm sure it was re-edited and everything else, but I don't right. know. Well, it's funny you should, you know, you mentioned Ringo kind of going into this a little bit about, you know, you know, he, and he was, I mean, everybody agreed that he was a steady drummer for the Beatles and certainly his personality fit. I mean, he, right. he was a Beatle, there's no doubt about it, but the, the knock against him from, and even Ringo said this, he says, you know, everybody thought in that group that they could play the drums and, uh, and, and in fact, they would on different songs yeah, every once yeah. in a while. Um, and the, the quote was. Somebody asked John Lennon if rock, if uh, Ringo was the best drummer in, in rock and roll. And he says, hell, he's not even the best drummer in the Beatles. And that a lot of that was that I don't think John really meant that. You know, I he, mean, he uh, was good at saying stuff like that, putting his foot yeah. in his mouth. He was good at that. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. I think he was doing that as more of a joke, yeah. but it, it hurt Ringo. Not, no doubt. But uh but that's what Ringo said. He said, yeah, he said, you know, those guys just thought that any idiot could play the drums. And, and, and so they would, you know, they would set in and do stuff uh, too. But, but there is stuff that if you're a drummer, yeah, I mean, and you, you follow what Ringo does. I mean, Ringo does keep, and uh, he's amazing from the fact that when you think of their live performances, yeah, I mean, they couldn't hear each other. Right. And he, he used to always say, you know, I'd have to look at John's ass and see that wiggle and, and you know, George's <laughs> head shake. And he said, that's how I figured out where we were in the songs. Yeah. And you got to think that here's a guy that had to keep that all together when they couldn't hear one another. And if you actually listen to their, like they, they refurbished the Hollywood Bolt tapes um and and got so they could george martin worked on that years later and got so they could pull some sound out of it and you think here's four guys that could not abs they could not hear what's going on at that time and you listen to it and you know they pulled it off pretty yeah, good instrumentally yeah. i mean well, it's amazing i got some i got the uh there was a double album or whatever it's cd but it's uh all the old bbc stuff they did and that right. that turned out pretty good too that sounded pretty good so i was kind of sure. impressed by that too That's all right. That's all right, my mama. Anyway, you do. Well, mama, she done told me. Papa done told me too. That some that gal who fooling with, she ain't no gal for you. That's all right. That's all right. That's 
Talk and tunes. Talk and tunes. Talking with John Russell, and we're talking a little bit about the Hulu series McCartney Three Two One. And uh, well, how do they get you know, Rick Rubin? I mean, here, here's a guy. He's a producer, a hip hop producer yeah. for LL Cool J, Run DMC, Slayer, uh, yeah, uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Tom Petty, Johnny Cash. Yeah. Johnny Cash, yeah. yeah. It says MTV called him the most important producer in the last 20 years. I mean, this guy, he was like major suck-up to Paul. I mean, that was the only bad right. thing about it is he would just, Paul, man, you're the best, man. You do this, man. Yeah. Listen to your bass, man. Your bass is awesome, man. You know, yeah. but Paul McCartney, yeah. he did he did point out some facts about Paul McCartney's bass playing. He was a really good bass player because he was a good guitar player, you know. Sure. And and yeah. he, he pulled it off on the bass and did some stuff. I mean, I remember when I was a kid and I played bass or tried to play bass, that's the stuff I would listen to, the stuff Paul did, you know, right. and try to re- right. recreate it and some of the stuff that Turner did in Bachman Turner Overdrive. So, you know, that right. to me the bass was was a is a pretty important instrument in a band if you play it well. Um yeah. I can't think of the, the guy's name in the Who. Um he passed away, but Oh John John at Whistle. At, at Whistle, yeah. John at- that was an amazing bass player. I mean, you know, when you yeah. have an amazing bass player like that, an amazing drummer like Keith, I mean, you know, yeah. what, what else do you need? Yeah. You know? And then, of course, you know. Yeah. Mom's got a squeeze, but she wears on her chest. But when daddy comes home, he never gets no rest. Cause she's playing all night. And the music's all right. Mama's got a squeeze, but Escape from the music in the whole damn street Cause she's playing all night And the music's all right Mama's got a squeeze box Daddy never sleeps at night She goes in Squeeze me, come on and squeeze me. 
Yeah, because, you know, McCartney with a lot of the Beatles stuff, and even when he became on his own or with Wings or whatever, he had a, a knack of the bass guitar almost being the lead guitar sometimes. Yeah. I mean, he would just... He would, he would do things with the bass that not anybody was, you know, you know, the bass was, was basically like the drums. They were like the rhythm keepers, you know, they were the, they were kind of the guys that kept everybody on track, yeah. but like he would step out and, and put together some really good bass licks that are, well, getting are, back, are really getting iconic. back to come together. I mean, that's, that's the bass yeah. look he came up with for that song. Do, 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 sure. do, you know, that was, that was pretty cool. <laughs> that was a pretty good bass. Yeah. Look. I mean, you know, right. But I think, you know, you got, you know, Rick Rubens is a guy that, you know, like you said, he had some chops. Um, so I think it was a good fit because I think Paul McCartney actually, you know, respects him. So, yeah. and you could we tell must. that. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and he could, he could, you know, he could pull it up. But I, I did, you know, I do agree with you as I was watching it. He became kind of like the, and, and I guess I would be that way to a certain extent. I mean, my God, that's Paul McCartney you're right. talking to, but. I was a little disappointed that it came off as, wow, it's almost like uh, Chris yeah. Farley doing it. You, you know, you remember when you were, you know, <laughs> it wasn't quite that bad, but, yeah. you know, I, I thought, God, come on, Rick, you're better than that. Yeah, you know, because he just, did, he did you know, pull up a couple of mistakes that Paul made, you know, and so like I say, some of those old tracks where they, you know, sang off right. key or whatever, but, you know, uh, but yeah, he was, he was just a little bit too, oh, man, well, wow. like, and then when, yeah. when Paul would talk, he would look at him. Yeah. When Paul would talk, he looked at him, he, he like, looked at him like, oh man. And the, the thing yeah. that really bugged me, <laughs> I don't know why, but the thing that really bugged me is when the music was playing and he tried to like shake his head, like he was getting into it. It was like, yeah. what, what the hell yeah. are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> but you know like i say this definitely is worth w w watching i'm mccartney sure. 321 on hulu it's just right. it was i found out stuff right. that i've never heard before um yeah it, it like i say uh, paul mccartney talked positive about everybody but the one thing that i i really really enjoyed is that he talked so positive about george martin and talked yes. about how much influence George Martin had on the band. I mean, George Martin played the piano for him a lot of times. Right. To right. me, he was the fifth Beatle. He was the fifth Beatle. No doubt. Yeah. I mean, there, there's, yeah. there's always kind of that where's Waldo game of who's a, yeah. who's a fifth Beatle, you know, Billy Preston gets thrown in there and all, yeah. you know, but no, it's, it's not even close. I mean, George Martin is the guy that he, if he, you know, he, he made, he made it come alive. I mean, they, yeah. they you know, the Beatles had a concept of what they wanted to do, but they didn't, especially in the early days, they really didn't know what, and, and George was always the guy who said, well, yeah, I think we could do this. We could loop this. We could do that. You know I mean? Yeah. He, he had that ability and, you know, he comes across as really the teacher, you know, he's a couple of years older than those and that, guys. And that's are. what he called them too. Kind of the teacher because they, they kind of, taught, yeah. he kind of taught them what he, what they could do and couldn't do. And, you know, Paul right. McCartney was the one that kind of came up to him and said, can we do this? Can we? I mean, like the one thing you mentioned about George, George, uh, um, George Harrison, couldn't think of his name, George Harrison's guitar, what he wanted to get more highs out of it. And they ran it through three different channels to get more highs out of this, this guitar. Yeah. And I would have never yeah. known anything like, but back then they had to do all this kind of stuff to make these certain sounds. And so I can see back in the sixties with certain bands and stuff, listening to this stuff, they're probably going, wow, how'd they do that? You know? And that's right. what it was. It was George Martin. I mean, that, that guy made it happen. Yeah. You know, they, they came up with ideas and it was basically Paul McCartney that came up with the ideas. I didn't really hear much of him saying anything about uh, John Lennon really 
wanting certain well, they, things. But. Yeah, they they seem to work. John and you know there was this. John to, wanted to rock and roller really, though, wasn't he? Just wanted yeah, to rock he, and roll. Kind of, yeah, yeah, he was. But but the thing with with their relationship as far as songwriters is people that don't really know them or really you know they, they see Lennon and McCartney and think, oh, these guys sat down and man, you know, Paul had a line and then John came with a line and they did write that way oh, sometimes. Yeah, 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 the writing. Yeah, but, yeah. But more times than not. I mean, John had a, had a song all done and Paul had a song all done. And I, the part that I really liked, and I'd heard this before, but it was kind of neat to see it reinforced in this documentary was where Paul would say, you know, we'd come in, John and I would come in with our songs and we would play them to Ringo and George. And all of a sudden Ringo, it, there's nothing written down. Ringo's figuring out how he's going to play drums. And yeah. then George is coming in with a guitar and he's even adding stuff to the stuff, to the song that I didn't even you know, I, I didn't even think about, you know, right. Well, just like, yeah. Just like, cool. like yesterday, yesterday was a pretty yeah. simple song. That was kind of cool too. Where he talked about that song because he said it just came to him in a dream and he right. sat down at a piano when he got up and, and played it out and he had yesterday and he went and played it to George Martin. He played it to John. He played it to everybody yeah. and say, is yeah. this, is this song by somebody else or because <laughs> yeah. it just kind of yeah. came yeah. to him, you know? Yeah. You know, and, and the thing that was neat about that is, well, first of all, he wrote the song. He was staying, he was going with Jane Asher, who is Peter Asher's brother. Okay. So they're living in, they're living in that house or he's living with them at the time. And so he wakes up and he's got this song, like he says on his mind and he goes, finds the chords on the piano. And he said, I, I must've heard that someplace, yeah, you know, yeah. and like you said, he goes to everybody and everybody says, no, no, I don't think so. I think you got something there. But the thing that impresses me is is um george says well you know we got a little Strings. bit of a problem here because yeah. because i don't see i don't see you know heavy guitar on it i don't right. see drums on it he said this is almost a solo song and i can put strings on it and we could do that and george uh, paul even thought oh i don't know about that you know that's yeah that like was their first out. their first one with strings wasn't it with the first song with yeah strings? it was yeah yeah, yeah. That was close, and that was, you know, with Eleanor Rigby. I mean, but yeah. I think, yeah, yesterday was the first one that actually did that. And so, you know, the Beatles were this group that all four had to agree on something or else if, if one, even if one descended and three said they wanted to do it, they, they had this agreement that it was not going to go. All four had to agree on it. So Paul took that to all the guys. Actually, he took it to John first because John could have shot it down in a hurry. Yeah. And he says, hey, look, you know, he says, you know, George wants to put some strings on this. And he says he doesn't. And he said that he was <laughs> the story I heard. It wasn't in this movie, but I, I've heard it, you know, before just because I'm a huge Beatles fan is he said, Paul said, I was all self-conscious. He said, I was, I was building up this argument kind of like, Hey, you know, I was like over arguing. And finally, John just looked at me and says, yeah, you're right, man. You're right. You're right, mate. You know, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. yeah, just do it. You know, just do it. It was like, it was no big deal. And I thought, you know, most of the, the, the Beatles were so big and there was a lot of ego in that band, but when it came to music, if somebody had to back out or step back to make the final product better, they had no problem with that. I was always amazed by, by how the music always came first, even even over the egos. You know, they they you know you you don't see that certainly in a lot of bands. Yesterday, all my troubles seemed so far away. Now it looks as though they're here to stay. Oh, I believe. Yesterday, suddenly, 
I'm not half the man I used to be There's a shadow hanging over me Oh, yesterday came suddenly Why she had to go I don't know she wouldn't say I said Yesterday, love was such an easy game to play. Now I need a place to hide away. Oh, I believe in yesterday. Why? Such an easy game to play Now I need a place to hide away Oh, I believe in yesterday able to you know to say okay no it, this is bigger than us yeah just do it you know but or, they had the freedom to do that though because that was the other thing too that they they you know paul said we, it, was so, it was so much fun because we got to experiment with everything or add this right. or add that and you know if they didn't like it they took it out or if they did like it they left it in i mean they they had that ability where you know studio time usually is way too much money to be able to do something like that oh know? sure sure yeah. something in the way Attracts me like no other lover Something in the way she woos me I don't want to leave her now You know I believe in how Something in her smile But I don't need no other lover Something in her style that shows me I don't want to leave now You know I believe in how Asking me when my love grows I don't know I don't know Stick around in me But I don't know I don't Telling to you, that woman, that woman. 
Something in the way she knows All I have to do is think of her Something in the things she shows me I don't want to leave her now You know I believe in how Talking tunes, welcome back. I'm Oscar Osborne talking with John Russell, and we're talking about McCartney 321 on Hulu. And, and they, you know, and then they, they, they had Brian, you know, getting back to Brian Epstein a little bit, who he was. He was trying to cash in on these guys because he knew, you know, he was still of the mindset that, you know, you've had, you, you got about six months, maybe a year, two years to make all your money. And then you fade away. That's what pop stars did. Right. And so he, he was always of that mentality or in the early days. And so he was, he, he really, um, he really wanted the Beatles to, when they did the, I love, uh, you know, she loves you and I want to hold your hand. He was perfectly willing to have them be that group you know hey we, we got a gimmick here you know you shake your heads and you go Ooh, and let's let's do more <laughs> yeah, songs yeah. like that and, yeah. and the guys didn't want to do that and it kind of drove brian nuts a little bit but you know i always credit the beatles too i mean how many groups would would have the cojones to you know you got this gravy train going obviously you know everybody loves you and now all of a sudden you're going to come up with a yesterday or a Eleanor Rigby, which is going to totally go 360 yeah. and totally different. You know, it's you not know, a Eleanor Rigby. I've heard that Eleanor Rigby originally was written for Ray Charles before they did it. They, they oh, really? pa Paul wrote it for, for Ray Charles. Ray Charles does do it. He, he wrote oh. it for Ray Charles, but then I don't know who talked him into doing it that himself. Ah. But yeah, it's originally yeah, well, written for him. Picks up the rice in the church where a wedding has been Lives in a dream, waits at the window Wearing the face that she keeps in her jaw by the door Who is it for? All the lonely people But do they all come from? Yeah. All the lonely people Do they all belong? Writing the words of a sermon that no one will hear No one comes near Look at him working Darting his socks in the night when there's nobody there What does he care? I heard him say All the lonely people Do they all come from? He turned to me 
Originally, that was like Father McKenzie was Father McCartney, and they thought that that was a little bit much. So, um, <laughs> I, so they they changed they between him and John they changed that to Father McKenzie because they said, well, you know, you can't have Father. But but Paul did that when he wrote songs. Uh, even yesterday started out as scrambled eggs. I mean, you, they call them these cod lyrics. It was like lyrics that. That he, he comes up usually with the tune first and then, then yeah. you, you put in all these other words and that's what you know you know father mccartney and john says well that's a bit much you know <laughs> <laughs> so they, they came up with but then but that's how well they work because they were you know they were rivals um but they were friends i mean they had a really complicated relationship i mean you could you could tell that and what's good about this documentary is you know for the longest time paul didn't really talk about the Beatles that much. I mean, he was almost like, you know, I don't know what, what it was, but you know, now he realizes that he's, you know, he's crowd and 80 and you know, his, his work is behind him. And I, I think you can see now that he's very comfortable really talking about some stuff yeah, now and, right. and, and not, not feeling bad that, you know, Hey, you know, maybe I was a bit of a jerk at times, but so was John. And so was, jo you know, I mean, they all, you know, they all, uh, I think he was the one that said, you know, we never stopped loving one another, but there were times where we didn't like one another. Yeah. And Cause I mean, they, they tried, they kind of got into that little thing about, you know, uh, him and John, but they didn't really, they didn't really, he really didn't open up about that. So, I mean, it's like, I still don't know. I've heard so many right. different stories. I still really don't know why John seemed to hate Paul so much, you know? And, well, yeah, I, you know, and, and I don't think Paul, John really did. I think John, John is a complicated character when you go back to his upbringing and more time than we have talking here, but he's, you know, lost his mom young. He's, he's very, very guarded. I mean, he's very, you know, he's very, uh, defensive you know he's always uh, about getting that first lick in and not never letting anybody see like the tender side of him yeah, and all that yeah. which all the all i hear is he did have that if you'd let him in and i think you know paul paul saw that but i think the jealousy just was that you know uh, hey he had this guy that was every bit 
you know, they, they were, you know, they were the other side of a coin, you know, and, yeah. and, uh, and Paul was the, as you said, Paul was the PR guy. I mean, he wanted everybody to be happy and the smiley guy where John was the, you know, I think I told you before, I, I think the Beatles became everything that John detested. I mean, John was never one to fall for things. I mean, he was always like, oh, if something got too popular, uh, there must be a gimmick here, yeah. you know, and all of a sudden they became the gimmick. So, I mean, I, th <laughs> I think that he was, he kind of, I, I wish he would have lived longer for a lot of reasons. Cause I think he would have been in that, in that mode where he would have been more comfortable in his skin. And, and I, I noticed that during the anthology, when you'd have the, uh, you'd have George and, and Paul and Ringo sitting around, you know, on a park bench in the back of George's house there, you know, playing the ukuleles or whatever, just talking. Yeah. And I said, man, that, that's what really made me feel bad that John wasn't there. Cause that would have been so neat just to have those guys be friends again and, and, and telling the old stories. I yeah. thought that would be yeah. so neat.
You know, the one thing I, I, I wished for when it happened was when Julian Lennon came out and, and played, you know, his his album ballet or whatever it was called. He sounded, yeah. yeah, but okay. Anyway, he sounded so much like John. I thought, man, there you go. <laughs> Get the Beatles back together. Like yeah, he looked yeah. like them too. Yeah, so it's like, yeah. Yeah, there you go. But that never happened either. So, I mean, I, I, no. I just figured that they were such good friends. I mean, you know, of course, Paul McCartney wrote Hey Jude about him and, and you know. Right. Hey Jude, don't make it bad. Take a sad song and make it better. Remember to let her into your heart. Then you can start to make it better. Hey Jude, don't be afraid. You were made to go out and get her. The minute you let her under your skin, then you begin to make it better. Don't 
But I think they, they talked about that a little bit in an anthology too, was, you know, to have Julian be a part of that would not be fair to, you know, Julian and, and, you know, they, I suppose. They, yeah. But I mean, they yeah, got so Deacon, that. they got Deacon Fry and the Eagles, you know, have taken uh, Glenn yeah. Fry's spot. So, I mean, come on. Yeah. yeah I mean, it could happen. I mean, let's I make some money, man. Time. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> no, I can, I can yeah, see I mean, now where it's not going to happen, of course, because, you know, Paul's 110 and, and, uh, yeah. Of course, he's he's been dead forever, so we're, we're told. Right, so. You're right. Yeah, exactly. It's the second fall. Yeah, it's the second fall.
But I guess Ringo and Paul do get together and yeah, do stuff. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but you know, they you know, it's not the Beatles, obviously. Well, a lot and, of and the, I, a lot of times you'll a, see that though. You'll see that on Paul McCartney's albums, you'll see uh, some drum parts played by you know Ringo Starr, and then there's some guitar right. parts being played by George Harrison. I mean, some of that stuff, yeah. like, like you know, I never knew until like the anthologies and stuff like that. Like Eric Clapton played guitar gently right. weep i mean you know i thought right. that was like wow it was a great guitar lick by george harrison no it was actually eric clapton you know so yeah. uh and, and it was just and basically him the, and eric that did this that yeah song. that's that's one of the first times that yeah the the beatles actually did something or allowed you know somebody to come in yeah. that wasn't a, a core member of the group to take part of. and then and the, and the weird thing about that of, yeah the whole weird thing about that is that of course you know eric clapton steals his wife but you know exactly like, yeah they, but they still and remain they still great friends <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're still a great. And and George's answer to all that was when they would ask him, they'd say, "Well, I'd rather she be with him than some idiot." You know, I, mean, I thought that was, you know, that was pretty good. Yeah, because so. I remember the story. It was a Harrison um, documentary, and it said something about uh, uh, Clapton said something about George came up and said, "You going home with me? or going home with him?" You know, yeah. it was like, okay, yeah. of course it was the same. It was the seventies. You know, I mean, there was uh, right. peace, love, everything, you know? So I don't know. It was just weird. <laughs> That's weird.
that whole thing. It wasn't in the documentary, but yeah, it was in another documentary. But, right. Right. I think you and I watch way too many documentaries. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the, but the, no, I, I do like I do like how they in this uh, in the, the McCartney that we're talking about where they they really dissect the song a little bit. You know, they'll mm-hmm. they'll they'll just uh, zero in on certain tracks, be it the bass or drums or whatever. Yeah. And, you, know, you just you know they 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 are able to separate all that stuff out. Well, I think Rick Rubin did do a little bit too much on Paul's bass, even though yeah, I do agree yeah. that Paul was a great bass player. Right. But anyway, yeah. Yeah, I think he did that just because, hey, Paul's sitting there and yeah. and he's trying to, like you say, kind of blow smoke a little I bit. I guess, yeah. And and I don't bit. think he really needed to. I mean, Paul, you know, Paul wasn't about that. I mean, yeah. I, I don't think he had to, because there are times where you're, you're thinking that Paul, you know, Paul must get that a lot. I mean, everybody that, you know, like I said, it turns into a Chris Farley interview. Everybody yeah. probably. Oh, yeah. I, I would be. I know and, I couldn't do it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I know. And the thing is, is, but he handles it well. I mean, yeah. you know, he kind of takes it for what it is and, and, and laughs about it a little bit. But, you know, they they're, they were all as they, you know, you, you think about all the power they were given in the 60s and 70s and even now. Um, and how they really didn't, uh, didn't abuse it. You know, I mean, you, you think of some groups out today that if you gave them a third of that kind of a power, what boy, oh boy, what, (laughs) what a mess you would have, you know, I mean, I've always admired them for, for, you know, for not taking themselves seriously, to be honest with you, you know, they could have, they could have been really jerks, you know, you know, it was kind of funny too, because McCartney's, uh, um, memory sometimes wasn't quite there either because he's listening to it and he's thinking no that that wasn't me on the piano that was george you know that was george yeah. martin you know and, yeah you know it's, yeah. it's like oh yeah that was me playing the guitar and that you know when the, the, the guitar kind of screwed up that was me on the yeah. guitar that wasn't that wasn't george yeah. harrison so you know yeah. it's yeah. like oh okay blackbird singing in the dead of night take these broken wings and learn to fly all your life You were only waiting For this moment to arise Blackbird singing in the dead of night Take these sunken eyes And learn to see All your life you were only waiting for this moment to be free. Blackbird, fly. Blackbird, fly. Into the line of a dark black night. Take these broken wings and learn to fly 
all your life You were only waiting for this moment to arise You were only waiting for this moment to arise You were only waiting for this moment to arise Welcome back to Talking Tunes. I'm Oscar Osbo, and uh, we're continuing our little chat with John Russell about the Hulu special, McCartney 3, 2, 1. So, yeah, yeah, I just I just thought it was, I mean, really, if you want to see a documentary about what the Beatles were like when they were young and trying to figure out all this stuff, especially Sgt. Pepper, you know, that's right. it's called McCartney 3, 2, 1, Hulu. The other thing I thought was kind of cool was... Um, he, later, he asked that uh, George Martin help him with the uh, 007 movie, and he did "Live and Let Die." I mean, that's that's Live a production right there. At "Live and Let it Die," is. that's a production song right there. That's right. that's yeah, George that's Martin all over the place, you know.
you know, the the only thing that that when I was, as I was watching it, I didn't really know for sure how many episodes. Well, I saw there were six, but I thought the way it ended. See if if you agree with me. Is I, I they almost ended it like okay, there's going to be more. more or, yeah. I mean, I, I, well, I, mean, was, I think I, they just I, talked about the Beatles. I think, you know, shoot Paul McCartney. He's got, you know, another gazillion well, yeah. hits to talk about, you know? So I'm hoping that's what it was. Cause when it ended, I was kind of disappointed. I mean, yeah. I, th- I think it was, I, it left me wanting more. So I'm hoping that, you know, they're going to do another, you know, so many episodes or whatever, because, yeah. uh, you know, it, it, uh, it was really fascinating. Like you said, to hear the stories and, you know, they were sitting in the actual studio where you know all of that stuff was done. And, right. Uh, oh, is that was that what it was? I, I didn't I didn't quite get that. I knew the studio was rather dark, but I didn't know if that was the studio yeah. that the Beatles had worked in. Yeah, it's Abbey Road. So oh, they, it was yeah, Abbey Road. Up, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They wound up doing. Boy, you think about iconic places. You know, not you know all the bands that recorded there, from Pink Floyd to the Beatles and right. stuff like that. You think yeah, man, when that when it comes time for the Wrecking Ball to come on that, that's yeah. gonna be. Yeah, he talked about that too. That they were in that studio and down the hall, another studio was Pink Floyd recording Dark Side of the Moon. So yeah. Yeah.
Morrison, who started out being a, a Beatle um, uh, engineer, along with uh, you know he he worked for George. You know George would have these kind of underlings that would would help, and uh, Alan Parson worked on a lot of the Beatles albums. I think from Revolver on. And you think about, and he was just a kid, you know, he's like a 16-year-old kid. And you think, man, you're a 16-year-old kid and you're working with George Martin on the Beatles on the Beatles album right when it's happening. I mean, you think, yeah. holy smokes, you know. Wow. Yeah, because they didn't really say it. They didn't really say a whole lot about the other engineers that worked on that, too. But, yeah, George was kind of no. the, George Martin was kind of the, the glue yeah. to the whole thing, I thought. But anyway. Um, right, right. Yeah, the other guys are kind of like the knob turners and stuff like that, yeah, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that a little bit. But you uh, said, but, still. but you know, and, but you know, the one thing though, that Paul McCartney did say he did come up with the the loop because he had an old reel to reel that would do a loop, and it would yeah. just keep recording over and over and over again, and it would play in a loop. Right. And right. he said he just had to remember, you know, how many times he could record over to loop yeah. it, and so that was kind of that that little strange noise, and I forget what song it was in too. It was in a lot of the earlier stuff they did. But, yeah, there was sort of some of that. You know, and the Beatles were, you know, kind of getting back to yesterday and and um, and Eleanor Rigby. I remember as a kid, you know, I was pretty young, obviously, but listening to, you know, the She Loves You and I Want to Hold Your Hand and all that and getting caught up in that. And then all of a sudden this yesterday comes on and Eleanor Rigby and you're thinking, even as a young kid, you're thinking, whoa, you know, this is different. I mean, this is this is like a, you know, a 360, you know, it's, yeah. just, a, it's just a whole different thing and uh i think i told you the story about sergeant pepper my cousin uh i was over at his house and he played piano and stuff and he, he loved music and he was a beatles fan he was a music fan in general but certainly the beatles and it was it was just when sergeant pepper came out and i remember looking at it and and i i put two into i said wow wait a minute this says the beatles down here and so, he says yeah and he was just playing he was just fooling around with me you know he says yeah they're not going to be the beatles anymore i says not the beatles he says no they're going to be sergeant pepper's lonely heart club band that's what they're going to be now they're this is what they're doing now <laughs> and he was just screwing he was screwing around with me but you know i was taking it serious because i thought wow they're really and i thought i don't you know they're not the mop tops anymore i don't know if i'm gonna i remember thinking i don't know if, and the first time i heard it he put it on for me and I didn't, I had to kind of reconcile, man, do I really like this? It, it, it's different. I, you know, this isn't the, she loves you stuff and all that. I don't know, but boy, the second time through, all of a sudden you're, you're there. I still wasn't too crazy that they weren't going to be the Beatles anymore. Then finally, so I just screwing with you, you know, like, they're gonna be the Beatles. but, but he had me going. I thought, you know, this was, you know, the, okay, this is, they're going to change everything now. You yeah. Know? You know, I was looking at some, I'm looking at the top 40 book and, and it just like, I want to hold your hand was their first number one for seven weeks in the U S yeah. in 1964. And I saw her standing there. She loves you. Please, please me, which was actually released in 62 originally in, in, in England. Um, yeah. another one that actually made it to number 26. I didn't even know this. My Bonnie, the, the, my Bonnie lies yeah, over the that, ocean. Yeah. That was done yeah, with Tony they, Sheridan. Yeah. They recorded that in Germany when they were yeah. over in Hamburg. And they were just the backing band to Tony Sherman, but they wanted to get, you know, they wanted to make a record. And that was, that was how they did it. I mean, they were just <laughs> the, the backing band to that. And that was the thing that brought them to Brian's attention was people were talking about this, my Bonnie to Brian's record store in Liverpool. And all of a sudden he, you know, he, he found out that Tony Sheridan was, you know, was, yeah. uh, was gonna, was not part of the Beatles, but he, he, you know, there's just people love the sound. So. 
But it's yeah, like L- "Love Me Do" and uh, "P.S. I Love You." That both of those were uh, recorded in set in '62 with uh, Andy yeah. Andy White on drums. It wasn't yeah. Ringo though. Yeah. Ringo yeah, was on tambourine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they had just uh, when they did an audition for George, they had Pete Best still as their drummer, and Pete said, "You know, I kind of like the guys, but he said that drummer has got to go. He says he's not he's not that good," and so. Then they got Ringo and George had already arranged for their recording when they were going to do a recording. They have Andy White, who was a studio musician, uh, do the drumming for Love Me Do. And I think maybe another one. I'm not sure. Um, but uh, but Ringo's feelings were hurt. But they, yeah. they want, you know, George says, I'm not going to be burned again. You know, no, we, we got studio and this is what we're going to do. So, yeah, because he didn't I, he didn't know at the time that Ringo was a, an actual drummer. So. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so then, uh, you know, and, and then I, I think they actually recorded, Ain't it's you, like Andy White's on the single and yeah. Ringo winds up going on the album. Something. So there, there is the version where Ringo's actually the drummer of. And then Ain't She Sweet, which I, I don't remember, but that was supposedly released in 64, but that was actually recorded in 61 with, with Pete Best and, okay. and uh, Lennon, McCartney and Harrison. And uh, it was a hit for uh, Ben Bernie in 1927. But anyway, yeah, ain't she sweet? I didn't. I I don't. I don't think I have that one. <laughs> either yeah. records that I got. But you know, uh, the Beatles were one of the one of the few bands that you know. I I was never a big guy for covers. You know, like if somebody did a cover song, and uh, I always wanted the original. Yeah. The Beatles, yeah. I think, were one of the few that, in my opinion, their covers were better or as good as yeah. the original and a lot yeah, of matchbox songs matchbox by carl perkins that was a, they did a really good job on that i thought you know they did yeah, yeah. i thought money i like i like john lennon's you know the beatles money a lot yeah. better than the original yeah. yeah um that was written by it, barry gordy yeah 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 so yeah i mean that's so yeah, yeah, barry gordy guys. made a lot of money on that song because a lot of people <laughs> did the money yeah. song you know right so, right exactly yeah but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I've got just in the top 40 book, you got 49 top 40 hits that the Beatles had, you know, that's just kind of amazing yeah. in the short and between 64 and, and basically yeah, 69, 69. Yeah. yeah. So, and how many, yeah. How many tongues, uh, how many, you know, songs, I forgot what the streak was, but they would go okay, a song would come out at number one or they'd have the first, the top five slots, you know, in Billboard magazine and and they would just keep replacing number ones. And they had a whole string of songs that just, you know, when they, when a song would get out of the number one slot, another Beatles song would come in. It was an incredible amount. Yeah. I remember when I was at Rock 95 in in 86 and Twist and Shout was another hit for them again from the movie, um, what was it, uh, Oh, Ferris Bueller. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That kept coming back. You're that right. was in 1986. Yeah. yeah.
one they did, Free as a Bird. You know, they redid that one in in '96, right. and then Real Love, which I don't think was all that great. But uh, no. do you, do you remember the Beatles movie uh, Medley? Had uh, Magical Mystery Tour, All You Need Is Love. Yeah, I I think I have that on 45 somewhere. I have to look. Yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah I mean, it's just it, anyway, just pretty amazing. So they had hits all the way to 1970, of course. And then, well, they say 69, but, you know, it's still, they had the long and winding road was in 1970. Let it be right. hit number 170, you know, so. Yeah. But uh, but they had hits all the way to 1996. Yeah. <laughs> Even though you they, know. they worked together. <laughs> yeah, they really did. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Welcome back to Talking Tunes. I'm Oscar Osbos talking with John Russell, and we're talking about, well, we started talking about McCartney 321 on Hulu, but now we're talking a little bit about the Beatles movies. They, um, you know, my favorite movie of theirs was was their first one out of the box. I love, I still, you know, I nope. still have it and watch it once in a while, Hard, day, oh, hard, hard Day's, Day's Night. Oh, okay. 
just for the energy and everything. You know, Help was all right. To me, I think their 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 movies got progressively worse as they went on because they had uh, Magical Mystery Tour, which, if uh, to be honest with you, if it wasn't for the Beatles, I wouldn't know. You know, if it was any other group, I wouldn't have watched it. Yeah. And Let It Be is really a painful movie to watch because it's almost about the breaking the up break of up, the group. Yeah. But that, I I enjoyed that, it though. I kind of enjoyed the Let It Be. Yeah, movie. I don't know why. Yeah, Maybe I mean the, the music saves it. I mean it's yeah. it's Beatles music, yeah. and that that's what's great. But I, you know, I I remember watching that, just feeling sad that it's a man. It's like these guys are. You can tell they don't really want to be there, especially John and yeah. George and yeah. Ringo, and and it's almost like Paul's got to be the guy that says, "Come on, you know, let's let's do this," and all this yeah. type of stuff. And yeah, kind He's of been kind of around, the cheerleader, you know? I think. Well, same with Ringo though. Ringo, I always thought was was kind of a, a cheerleader in the band too. He didn't really let too much bother right. him, it seemed so right exactly but so. anyway yeah so um yeah anyway we, we don't have time because you got to get going but oh yeah um but uh yeah mccartney 321 on hulu i think uh definitely check it out we talked about it for almost an hour so there you go <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was it's i uh, highly recommend it i i'm hoping they're going to add to it because yeah. like you said they, they could they definitely have a whole slew more music they could do so i'm thinking so just just the way it ended it almost ended to me like you know they're going to add on to it so we'll yeah because see. paul mccartney and wings i mean i really want to hear about the wings i mean you really i do i want right. I, I mean what mccartney had let's see paul mccartney and wings he had Let's see, 30, almost as many hits as the Beatles did. He had 30, 37 uh, yeah. top 40 hits, you know, and he definitely had right. the most number one hits of all the Beatles. So, sure. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, he's uh, amazing. There's no doubt about it. I mean, you know, you go back to all the songs that he's written and to have, you know, can you, can you name me any two that sound alike? You know what I mean? It's yeah, like yeah. every group you, you say, oh, well, that's Casey and the Sunshine. Oh, band. yeah, like, that's you know, true. You're yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. mean, because you I know, mean, this this guy, this a, guy. There's no no two songs that really sound the same. I mean, I, when I thought when I was still a big Paul McCartney fan uh, was when he came out with. Uh, I thought, okay, this is still going to be cool. This is still the Beatles, as far as I was concerned. When he came out with right. Uncle Albert, Admiral Hen Hen yes. Helsley, yeah, with the, right. with with him and Linda McCartney. I mean, that was to me that was an awesome sure. song. <laughs> it was yeah. like, you know, it was like, whoa, really? This yeah. is kind of cool. Yeah. You know, yeah, and then there's uh, a lot happening there. We're so sorry, Uncle Albert. We're so sorry if we caused you any pain. We're so sorry, Uncle Albert. But there's no one left at home, and I believe I'm.
Yeah, and then the the other one is um, that he came up with that uh, "Baby I'm Amazed." I thought that was a pretty amazing song, but that's a total switch from Uncle Albert, you know. Sure. And yeah. uh, then he's just got the way he goes with the wings in '72, and then he's Paul McCartney in Wings in '73, you know. So right. right. But uh, "Live and Let Die," yeah, that was for Roger for Roger Moore's uh, movie in James Bond. Yeah, James Bond. Yeah, yeah. So, pretty cool. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, so we could talk about uh, we could talk about Paul more if we wanted to, but now I think you got to go, so I guess we can leave yeah. it there. We also want to talk about uh, David Giffen, one uh, Geffen one of these days too. Yeah, well, if you get that's together, an amazing. We'll probably do an hour on him. <laughs> yeah, we can. I mean, that guy I, when you told me you said watch the David Geffen special or I, what was it on? I forget what what, what it was. It on. was it was either I Netflix? think it was on Netflix or Hulu. One, I, I get it. They're, Netflix, they're both the I same think. to me because I got yeah. them both. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, but right. I mean, when I when I said David Giffen, and why why would I want to see that? You know, the guy. All I ever heard about the guy, he was a he was a backstabbing prick. You know, from you know the <laughs> Eagles and stuff like. Glenn Fry is who said that. You know, he's a, that's yeah. what he said. Yeah. I mean, Glenn Fry even mentioned the, the fact that he said uh, he said Giffen said to him. I'm going to make you guys a lot of money, but I'm going to make me a lot more. <laughs> yeah. A lot more. Yeah. 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 He was, he was a, yeah. Uh, what billionaire. I mean, yeah. He, he wanted to well, turn it uh, and going like, yeah, that that's going to be a fascinating story because he goes from music to movies to yeah, back yeah. to music again. I mean, you know, what, here's so. a guy that has no talent supposedly at all as far yeah. as the music. And yet right. him and Spielberg own, you know, one of the DreamWorks, one of the biggest, you know, companies these days. Yeah. And, I don't know. Anyway, so there's a whole story about that too, but yeah, we'll get into that. I'll let you, I'll let you go. So, okay. No, it was fun. Oscar appreciate it. And, uh, and, uh, and stay well. Yeah, you too. And, uh, good luck with all these games you're doing too. I, you know, football yeah. time is here again. T-A-L-L because we like you. A-T-U. You are special. N-E. S is for see you next week. All alone at the end of the evening. When the bright lights have faded to blue. I was thinking about a woman who might have loved me. And I never.
Thank you. Very good, Randy. Randy Meisner.